Lord, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Widgeon. Pochard. Teal. Snipe. Now, you may at this point be thinking that uh, the vicar has lost what few marbles he had left. Um, but I wonder if you can guess what those things were that I was naming. Uh, a few hands going up in church. Um, uh, those at home, particularly if you're children, I'm, quiz your mum and dad. I'm sure they will know. Um, and well done if you guessed I was referring to birds. They're all a type of birds. Widgeon, I particularly like, which sounds like a pigeon with a lisp. Um, they can be seen, um, and many more seen, in a fabulous place not far from here called Salthome. It's just across the river from the, the transporter bridge. And it's somewhere that Lindsay and I have discovered during the last few months. And even more fantastic, you can see very close there a whole range of seals um, uh, on the place called Seal Sand. You want to go and see dozens and dozens of seals hauling themselves up onto the mud, go to Seal's Sand. The most extraordinary thing is that these seals died out completely a few decades ago, but they've come back as the waters got cleaner. Perhaps if you've never been there, you might um, want to ask your mum and dad to take you there once everything goes back to normal. But if you're not able to get out very easily, then think about this. About a month ago, if you went outdoors at four o'clock in the afternoon, it was pitch black. I, I went out, had to go out yesterday, um, and it was light. Now, I don't know, uh, uh, the, the more scientific amongst us could explain to us how the orbit of the Earth around the sun has changed, and that that means that, that gradually the days are beginning to get longer and lighter. But that miracle that happens every year is happening each day. Well, today we are beginning our continuing our series, Walking with God in COVID. And as part of that, we're finishing the time looking at the Old Testament book of Job before we turn next week to look at the Gospels. And we're getting towards the end of the book. Now, Job is an ancient, very old story. This is thousands of years old about how we face pain and suffering in our lives. It's mysterious, but it's also profound. And in the first week looking at Job, we looked at the friends of Job, the comforters. We saw how Job lost his possessions, his family, his health, and the comforters basically told Job, it's all your fault. And we know from the end of Job, and that bit that Mel just read for us, how the comforters are judged by God to be in the wrong. God gets Job to pray for his comf the comforters. Indeed, God calls Job my servant. And you get the sense that you know, Job, God thinks Job is the guy uh, to follow, not the comforters. And then the second week, last week, Lindsay showed us how Job refuses to go with what the comforters or his wife say, 
He protests his innocence to God. He says, why is this happening to me? But also he doesn't give up on faith. He doesn't hang up the phone. Job is teaching us here how important it is for people who suffer to share their pain, to speak of their pain. And today, this week, we're coming to look at what God himself does in the book of Job. Now, God in Job is really interesting, because if you read the book of Job, what you find is God is actually most of the time silent. Apart from the first couple of chapters, there's then nothing that God says until we get right near the end, chapter 38. But that doesn't mean God is absent. In fact, what God is doing is the key to the whole book. For with a great crash, God finally speaks in chapter 38 that Mel just read for us. And it's these final bits of Job that we're going to focus on today. And we could summarize these final chapters as speaking of three things. The smallness of human wisdom, the greatness of God's power, and the comfort that Job eventually finds in God. So the smallness of human wisdom, the greatness of God's power, and the comfort that Job eventually finds. So from chapters 2 to 37, we hear from Job's comforters and Job himself, and they go on and on and on. They're like some kind of outboard motor without any kind of steerage. It just goes buzzing on and on. And finally, God breaks into all this in chapter 38. The Lord spoke out of the storm. God speaks to Job out of the storm. Here is a, a storms are things we find disturbing and confusing. This is not some suave TV interviewer where the besuited interviewer tries to grill God and force God into an error. A true encounter with God that you and I have will always humble us. It will always bring us in some measure to our knees. Perhaps COVID is in part a storm in which we can hear God in ways which before were well, we were deaf to God and we shut God out. And in verse 3 of chapter 38, God says to Job, I will question you. Now Job has to this point thrown out lots and lots of questions, but now he has to answer questions. And in the rest of chapter 38 and chapter 39, God shows Job the created world, as we've just seen with those Lego figures. The sky, the sea, the, the light, the dark, the snow, the hail, the rain, the stars, the clouds, the mists. And then there's a wonderful laundry list of animals that God is showing Job. It's a glorious gallop through all the animals of the Middle East. There's lions, there's birds like the ibis and the hawk, there's mountain goats, wild donkeys, and a fabulous poem about the ostrich. Um, clearly ostriches, uh, I didn't know this, ostriches are not the brightest um, light bulb in the chandelier, shall we say. Um, but the poem speaks of how God still values 
even the dozy ostrich. And in verse 4 of chapter 38 of Job, God asked Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. This vision of creation is putting the smallness of Job's language into perspective, and it does the same with us. God is saying, let me amaze you by the complexity and the intricacy of the world in which we live. If our world was just a tiny bit further out from the sun or a tiny bit further in, we would either freeze or fry. It is beautifully calibrated. It's well said that the best scholars are the ones who know most what they don't know. The best scholars are the ones who know most what they don't know. Human wisdom is good, but it's limited. If we learn one thing from COVID, we have learnt that we do not have all the answers. It is bleakly entertaining to read how many things that prominent scientists and ministers and journalists said in previous months have turned out not to be correct. And then there's a whole load of things that you and I have said or assumed in previous months. They also have turned out to be wider the mark. We humans have some wisdom, but our wisdom is small. And we'd be wiser if we remembered that. The book of Job then teaches us the smallness of human wisdom, but it also teaches us the power of God. This book is ending with a long look at the beauty and splendor of creation, and that doesn't answer directly all Job's questions, but it puts them in a different light. We see that in chapters 38 and 39, and then in chapters 40 and 41, we read about two extraordinary creatures called the behemoth and leviathan. And, and children, I would say, if you're listening at home, read chapter 40, verses 15 to 24, and chapter 41, where behemoth and leviathan are described, and you might want to draw them. Um, scholars debate to this day, what are these animals? Are they elephants or hippos or whales or crocodiles or, or, or indeed something else? And scholars don't know. See what you think. What chapters 40 and 41 are saying is that the God who made the world, who gave us the world, is immensely powerful. This world might feel chaotic as it does now, but chaos is not the final word. And in these final chapters of Job, God does not appear and say, well, I'd like to help, but I can't. He shows Job how powerful he is. The book of Job does, offers us no explanation of suffering, but it focuses rather on who God is, and that is what ultimately is going to help. I've been reading a book called God on Mute by a man called Pete Gregg, which I strongly recommend to you. And in it, Gregg cites research amongst those who survived the concentration camps of World War II. 
they suffered immensely. And you might assume that after this they were atheists, and some indeed were. But the research showed that a significant number of those who went to the concentration camps came to faith whilst in the death camps. In the face of this horror, they turned to God. So we've heard about the smallness of human wisdom. We've heard about the power of God. And then in chapter 42, Job replies to God. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. And then he speaks hopefully. My ears had heard of you, says Job, but now my eyes have seen you. He goes on to say, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now we need to be careful here. There's some debate about, amongst the scholars about what the word despise means. And whilst it's clear that Job is humbled, he also has a new hope. And we can see that. Job is affirmed by God who calls him my servant and gives him the, the work of um, praying for him, the comforters whose advice God calls folly. Job is restored to life better than before. And above all, I think we need to really listen to that phrase, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Now, elsewhere in the Old Testament, seeing God is a very dangerous thing. God tells Moses on Mount Sinai, no one can see God and live. And yet, Job lives and is indeed comforted by his sight of God. He sees God and it is life to him. Now I want to look for a moment at a verse that Lindsay shared with us last week, earlier in Job, Job 19, verse 25 onwards. There's a In the midst of a great sob of anguish of Job before God, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. Now, the Old Testament contains great riches, but it is not the whole story. It's pointing forward. And this is one of those bits where it is pointing outside of itself. Christians have read these verses I just quoted, written centuries before Jesus, as pointing towards Jesus. They speak of a redeemer who lives, who stands on the earth, of seeing God in flesh, God sees, Job sees God dimly, and, then, and he sees dimly the God who centuries later comes as Jesus, the Redeemer who lives despite death, whose cross and resurrection express the immense power of God. In the coming weeks, we're going to turn to the New Testament to see how that guides how we can walk through COVID. But we see here how the new 
is contained inside the old. And the old is revealed ultimately in the new. God in Job is deeply mysterious. It's a God who, in a sense, is blurred but comes into sharp focus when we get to the Gospels. But God, even in the Old Testament, is a God who we can know, whom Job knows and Job sees. We don't have all the answers to the questions we raise when we face pain and suffering. And in Job, we don't get an intellectual, philosophical answer, but we do see a saviour. God comes to us in the Jesus whom Job dimly saw, and that is the best kind of answer. For Job, God often did not feel near, but he discovers ultimately that God is near. I love to go for a long walk in the country. It is, to my mind, the best medicine you can have. And as soon as we're allowed to do that again, I'll be off. And I have in mind a very long walk from Hartlepool to Whitby. It's a path called the Way of St. Hild, the ancient saint who lived in both those towns. I'd love to have your company with me when we can do it. And the Way of St. Hild goes right past Seal Sands and Saltholm, those nature reserves I mentioned to you. Walking, for me, clears my head. I find there's a whole lot of mess in my head, but it's walking that clears it out. I find walking a long way is a good reminder of the smallness of human wisdom and the greatness of God's power. And in that, the craziness of our world finds a new perspective. And it becomes possible to know the comfort of Christ, as people have done on the Tees Valley for centuries. Now, a long walk is not possible at the moment, and indeed for some who are listening to this, it's not possible at all. But the Bible uses walking as a metaphor, a symbol, for getting through suffering, and I think that is a big help to us right at the moment. As we walk, we slow down, and we look, and the book of Job is teaching us to look, to look at the world and see God in it and look forward to Christ and see him as our saviour. Our troubles matter to God. That's the point of Job. That's the point of God sending Jesus. But our troubles are not everything that is. And the tyranny of pain and suffering is that when we suffer, suffer, often our suffering becomes the only thing we can see. It's like we're trapped in some kind of huge silo and we can't see beyond it. The book of Job and its extraordinary final chapters raises our eyes beyond the silo, beyond the prison of pain, and we see a bigger world beyond it. And the book of Job is pointing us towards Christ. And that's crucial because we're not going to get some neat explanation for human suffering. We're right to cry with Job. Why? 
But we'll find, as Job did, that neat answers to that question, like the neat answers of the comforters, they are not of much use. What helped Job was seeing God. And hazily, he saw the God whom we see in the Gospels, the God of Jesus Christ. That's where we'll go next week. And as we go there, remember that also on the, we're also on the walk towards Easter Day, the 4th of April this year. That may feel a long way off right now. But Easter is coming. It cannot be cancelled. And it illuminates the darkest places that we are living in. It enables us to keep on walking the walk of faith, even through COVID. For with Jesus, we will find we are never alone on that journey. Amen.